Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real-life rescues on the fire ground to you firsthand from those involved. Today with me, I've got Doug Cochran, firefighter from Easton, Pennsylvania. How you doing, Doug? Good, how are you? Good. So you guys got a grab on December 5th of this year that we're going to talk about, but let's talk about Easton Fire Department, how that runs, and, and, and what those resources look like. Yeah, no problem. Um, so Easton is a really old colonial town in North, uh, like East side of Pennsylvania, right on the Jersey border. Uh, the city's super old. We actually had the constitution read there for the second time, like ever after it was written. So buildings are very, very old civil war style buildings. Um, 4.7 square miles. We have a very good diversity of the building construction. We have everything from a row to uh, $500,000 homes on College Hill. Um, yeah, just really cool little old city. Tell us about the resources you guys have, like how many engines, trucks, that sort of thing. Uh, we run three engines, one truck, and one rescue. The rescue is like the command car, like the chief buggy. Uh, we have 10 guys on the street total, so two men a rig. Uh, a fire alarm and a dwelling fire dispatch get the same exact response, except uh, instead of everybody going emergency, a fire alarm only gets the first two engine and the rescue going emergency. Everyone else is slow. So do you guys get any auto aid or are you straight up like 10 guys on a fire and that's it? It's straight up 10 guys on a fire. Um, until we start getting really beat up, we'll get a uh, we'll special call from our neighboring uh, paid department. And if that's not enough, we recall all of our off-duty firemen. So with only 10 guys on a fire, how do you divvy up jobs? Uh, what's the division of labor look like? Who's doing the searches? So it really depends on uh, what we get when we get there. Uh, if the first two engines having a hard time getting the line in service, uh, as the car driver, I would help them put the line in service. Um, if, but if you got a really good nozzleman, he's got he's on top of it. I'll break off of him do a search. Uh, if not, the second do uh, the first two truck will do a search. The way it works out in our city, our first two engine doesn't supply their own uh, water supply, so our second do always does that. So you tie up the driver and the rider from the second do for a little bit, and then you rely on the third do engine and the truck to kind of fill in the gaps. Cool. Uh, you said that that um, buggy driver might go in and do search. Who's doing command, or is anybody doing command, or is it kind of a loose command structure? Yeah, we've got a captain or a lieutenant in charge of the shift. So that's our, that. The ten guys is including him. So if we go, if we hit a working fire, we're automatically down to eight guys. You have, you put the first two pump operator out, you put the command officer out. So yeah, it's it. We we are really heavy on what we see when we get there. Cool. So talk to us about what the search culture is like in your organization. Like who's doing searches, what method are they doing searches? What kind of tools are you taking? Uh, it could be the car driver. It could be the second due pump, third due pump, uh, the truck. Uh, it really just depends on what command needs you at that particular point. We've had four, four half doubles burn into one shot and we need to get water on the fire or expect, I mean, if you got somebody confirmed trapped or somebody believed trapped, we definitely put that much higher on the list. Um, I'd say get a line in service is normally our priority. So I'm guessing if that guy's functioning by himself, it's probably not a junior member. Is that, is that the case or? Oh, we got guys. Um, um, yeah, our, our seniority is kind of weird. So you could be brand new off the street, driving the pump, riding the pump, riding the engine, driving the tower, driving the car. 
you, you just kind of following where you are on the roster that day. So it, how, it could be a junior man. So how are you teaching the junior man to do that search if he's functioning kind of independent? How do, how do you teach that ahead of time to those guys? Difficult. Um, our guys go to the Allentown Fire Academy. So they get a lot of good experience from the Allentown guys. Um, but as soon as we get them, we they don't even count towards manning for about 30 days. We go over the basics, you know, masking up, your searches, your hand tools. So let's jump in. December 5th, 2020, you guys get a call and uh, walk us through that one. Yeah, it was about 9 o'clock at night. Fire alarm goes off. Uh, look down on our phones. Our phones will get a text before uh, the dispatch sometimes. Uh, 250 Ann Street, it's an address we go to all the time. It's uh, 70 to 100 different units in the building. Uh, four audible fire alarm, key detectors from zone one and six. Uh, we had no additional calls, no, no one calling in saying the building's on fire, uh, no one calling in saying there's a pot of stove, pot of pot in the stove. Um, so we respond as normal, first two engine and the rescue company. Uh, emergency, everybody else is on emergency. Our streets are pretty narrow, so we turned left off of the main road to get down um, towards the apartment building, and we got stuck behind a public transit bus. So we were stuck behind them for about a minute, laying on our horns, trying to get them out of the way. And as we were blocked away from the building, we pull in, cracked the window a little bit. You could kind of smell some like rubber burning, rubber plasticish. Um, the alarm panel's in the rear, so when you get to the rear, you really can't see the rest of the building. Uh, but the panel, I'll get my, my stuff on. I take my Halligan bar. Um, some guy runs up to me. He goes, what are you doing? It's over here. And I'm like, uh, what is the, the fire alarm? The cooking? He goes, no, that was on fire. I'm like, oh, all right. So we run down, we run down the parking lot and I had fire venting out of a window. I told my captain on the radio, we had to work the fire. I actually had to ask some uh, bystanders where the door was because there was multiple doors to get in that building. I found the apartment door for apartment two. The screen door was locked, which at the time didn't uh, raise any flags. It should have, because people don't normally lock their screen door when they leave. Uh, the deadbolt was locked, the doorknob was locked. And as soon as I forced the main door, I had about three feet of lift. I could see from the door to the bottom end of the cabinets in the kitchen. And the second that line opened up, it was all dark. It got dark, zero visibility, it got hot. Um, obviously everything was kind of getting pushed my way. Hose line was opposing to me, uh, like directly in line almost, just by a hallway. So yeah, conditions drastically deteriorated when that line went into operation. I made a right-hand search into the living room where I hit her with my knee. I hit her leg. I ditched my Halligan bar. I drug her out by her legs, passed her off to my lieutenant and my captain. I radioed them priority that I found a victim. So they, as they're dragging her through the yard, to uh, EMS, uh, I went back in to continue my search. Um, there was about nine beds in that small apartment, so I was really thinking that I was going to find somebody else. But I was—I've always been harped to always finish the search. Just don't bring them out and, go, and call it a day. Like there's, you need to start where you, you need to start where you ended off. So I'm glad I did that. Uh, I ditched my Halligan bar completely after I found the victim. I was just straight hands and knees as fast as I could going through every uh, clothes pile and bathtub and checking around the couch, the void between the, the bed frame and the wall. Um, yeah, all said and done, the, the fire was actually knocked from the outside entirely. There was one rear bedroom on fire. 
but yeah, you could definitely tell once that line went when that line opened up and you were inside. It was you could you could definitely feel the difference for sure. I wish I would have had a little bit more time to search without that line being open, but it all worked out. So, so many good points to unpack with this one. Number one, I love that you used the bystanders uh, to help you figure out where the front door was. Uh, you know, if they're nearby, why not? Why not use them? You picked up on the door locks, especially the screen door and the deadbolt are, are some pretty good giveaways. You mentioned the good visibility initially when you went in. And then once the hose light opened up, everything got worse. I imagine with such short staffing, that's probably pretty standard to just get quick water on the fire and get a quick knock. Is is that pretty standard for you guys? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's having 10 guys when you got, a, when you got something burning, you, you're on a race for sure fast water, you know, put the fire out, everything goes away, hopefully. Um, you know, I went from about three feet from the floor of visibility to complete blackout. So I think most of the people that I've listened have been in a fire before and understand visibility is, is might be fairly decent. As soon as that line opens up, you're going to expect the visibility to go to crap. You're going to expect the initial heat spike before you get the cooling. Um, you know, it brings up the point. Sometimes we need to be, or maybe at least consider talking with our crews and, and coordinating that, that search with the attack to say, Hey, maybe search is going to get in ahead of attack team, not only get a quick, quick search done because you can do it so much faster when you have a little bit of visibility, but then let the host team know where that line is rather than search following in behind the line. But you know, in your case, even if it's coming from the outside, Hey, just get, give me a quick minute to, uh, to get that done. You think you could have gotten that room search a little bit faster without having that line open up? Yeah, 100%. Um, if the line wouldn't have been opened up and I would have kept that three feet of visibility, I would have seen that, you know, the, the mattress on the floor didn't have anybody in it. But I, I, when, I, when, I, when you go back in after I pulled her out and I'm feeling the mattress with piles of clothes and trying to hit every little square inch, obviously, you know, I found somebody, I might find somebody else too. Um, yeah, I definitely went more methodically after I found her. If I would have had a little bit more visibility, it would have been neat. Um, I started doing a little trick with my flashlight. I invert it and it hangs on webbing and I undid my Velcro and my first, I actually used it for a search, but the flashlight held perfectly 90 degrees. So that actually helped a lot too. But uh, yeah, all the visibility in the world helps, especially when you're in a tight apartment with a lot of bedrooms. Yeah. And, and you know, you think about, uh, I know the term firemanship gets a bad rap sometimes, but it's truly just being a master of your craft and knowing if this, then this, and this is a perfect situation where, you know, we, we try to get water on the fire quick. Cause we say, uh, you know, water on the fire makes everything better. Not always the case. Um, not but, always the case, but so let's, let's talk about the victim. Uh, how heavy was the victim? Probably 110, 120. Pretty light. And, and, um, yeah, so that makes for a much easier drag. You said you did, uh, like a leg drag, did she have any burns or the clothes ripping off or were you able to get pretty, pretty good grip on the legs? I had a really good grip. She didn't have any exterior, burn, um, exterior burns. All of her um, um, injuries were sustained in the airway. Cool. And, and you know, that's the other good thing with the leg drag. It keeps their airway and the big part of their body down closest to the ground. It still boggles my mind why that's not in any search books, but anybody you talk to that's, that's grabbed a victim, uh, they say, you know, have a head first plan and a feet first plan. And that seemed to be executed 
perfectly. I also love that you dropped the victim off, passed them off and finished your search. It's tough. We've talked about in some other podcasts. It's tough to tell somebody where you left off and have them pick up the search. Likewise, even if I was told where somebody left off, I'd probably just start the search from the beginning. So um, it was nice. You went back and, and finished the search on what you were already familiar with. You mentioned the um, dropping your halogen and searching with your hands. That's another fire school thing. They tell you to search with the tool, uh, but tools don't have feelings and it makes it tough to go through that. I can't imagine, now you've already found one victim. You mentioned that, that, that sense of, heightened sense of awareness goes straight up because people don't want to die alone. So where you find one, you're going to find more. Once you talk about how you, yeah, you're just going through all that stuff. Yeah, I, the second I found her, I. I yeeted that halogen bar across the room. I actually found it stuck in a cabinet door after the fire. Um, but as we I went back and searched, I'm finding like kids' toys, piles of clothes, and you can't search that stuff if you got a, a coal in your hand. And I knew the apartment wasn't massive. I'd be, I'd be able to find my way back out. I've, I'd already taken two windows, and there's windows taken in the front. Like I smoke was starting to lift a little bit more. So I, if I was going to be going from apartment to apartment, I definitely would have kept my hit my bar, but at that point I didn't see it necessary. Well, cool. A lot of good stuff to take from this one. I appreciate you sharing your story, Doug. Um, you got anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Uh, other than just, just every fire alarm is probably going to be on fire. That's we've had three. We have, we actually changed our policy in the city changing from everyone going emergency to only two people going emergency. And ever since we've had that policy, we've actually had three working fires come out of fire alarms. But I definitely look at fire alarms a lot differently, especially now. But, um, yeah, fire alarms are so good that you're going to catch one eventually. Yeah, no doubt. And I love, uh, you know, you get a fire alarm, expect a fire, and expect victims. Um, so really good. Well, Doug, I appreciate you sharing your story. Um, if you make a grab or assist, alive or deceased, please go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com and take that short survey. This information is for us, by us, and updated real time. And really, we're just trying to get what happens on the street out to everybody because uh, you might learn something. I know I learn something every one that I do. If you want to share your story on the podcast, reach out to me, Grant Schwalbe, Justin McWilliams, or Nick Ledeen. Um, we can use your information name and fire department or we can keep it completely anonymous we just want the information to get out because if people aren't willing to share their story people are making it up so uh until next time thanks for listening